Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 Timothy 2, and we'll be looking at the first four verses this morning. And uh, please read with me responsibly. I'll be reading verses 1 and 3 alone. Let's read 2 and 4 together. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Together, verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. The title of my message this morning is this, Americans that bless God. We hear the phrase, God bless America. Boy, I want God to bless America, but I think sometimes we as a country want to live how we want to live and still expect God to bless us anyway. And we have to be careful about that. So Americans that bless God, we need to make sure we're doing our part to live for the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Help us, Lord, as we endeavor to, uh, Lord, open your word and preach it. Our hearts have been prepared with everything that's gone on from the video that was played at the beginning of the service to the congregational singing to the two specials uh, to the the citing of our uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, Lord, our hearts are prepared. And so, Lord, help us to be moved by the message today to do more, to help turn the tide and bring America back to the righteous nation that it used to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I found a poem in preparation for my sermon this morning. It's a lengthy poem, but I think it's a poem that all of us will enjoy. It's uh, entitled this, I Love America. It goes like this, I love Thanksgiving when we pray, and July 4th and Labor Day, with picnics, ants, and hungry flies, and barbecue and hot French fries, with Cokes and chips and apple pies, beneath some hazy, lazy skies. I love Miami's royal palm that oozes forth a healing balm beneath the ocean's quiet calm. And Betsy Ross and Orville Wright and dear Ben Franklin's flying kite and Thomas Jefferson's mighty quill and Alamo and Bunker Hill and Paul Revere's midnight ride and Wilbur Wright's successful glide. I love United's friendly skies and baseball when the umpire cries, play ball as thousands quietly rise to turn their moistened sober eyes toward waving flag and proudly uh, that proudly flies. And Casey Stingles, Stingle A's and Dairy Queen and Tasty Freeze and Cotton Candy at the Zoo and Corn Dogs and Big Macs too and Burger Kings and Shopping Malls and Hockey Pucks and Basketballs and Mississippi's Cotton Fields and Holland, Michigan's Spinning Wheels, uh, 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 Mountainous Midwestern Plains, Florida's uh, monotonous uh, Midwestern Plains, rather, Florida's suns, Seattle's rains, Atlanta's lovely dogwood trails, and Santa Fe's long clicking rails. I love the Rocky Mountain peaks beneath the sky, which mutely speaks, and Disney World, and Disneyland, and Georgia's fertile blood red sand, the Mississippi and Rio Grande, Wisconsin cheese, and Dairyland. I love McDonald's chocolate shakes, and Minnesota's Thousand Lakes, the Royal Georges Mighty Gone, a sleepy Alabama dawn, the harvest moon that shineth on. I love to gaze at Yellowstone when licking on an ice cream cone and Howard Johnson's Motor Lodge and 
Ford and Chevrolet and Dodge. I love the stately Empire State and San Francisco's Golden Gate. I love St. Louis' friendly arch, the Statue of Liberty's burning torch, the Washington Monument's Prickly Goad and Colorado's Trail Trail Ridge Road. I love my country, tis of thee. O blessed land of liberty, long may our glorious land be bright with freedom's wondrous holy light. Protect us by thy marvelous light. I love to stand with hands or heart and think of those who did their part, who left a mom a lone gold star whose bodies rest neath um, uh, rest neath fields afar. I love New England's rolling farms, its quaint decor and blushing charms. I love the azaleas' freshened blooms, East Texas rose sparkling plumes. I love it when the church crowd sings and know the peace that worship brings. There beats within my breast a dream that uh, that small faint and flickering gleam with soon uh, will soon become a mighty flame to spread to all his matchless name that those dear two who call me dad will know the country I have had where freedom's flag flies proud and high and those dear ones may loudly cry I'm free my dad helped make it so that faint small gleam is now a glow that Christian land that once Uh, that he once knew is now the kind that we know too. God's judging hand has now been stayed, so I and mine are not afraid. For churches like our own abound in every city, village, town. We're free to witness, visit, teach the same dear truths we heard Dad preach, and now we vow to go above to pass it to those we love. I love America. It is common for us to hear the phrase and sing the song, God bless America. We all want God to bless this land in which we live. But for, for far too long, Americans, for far too long, Americans have not blessed God. Sinful living is not, not only the norm, sinful living is now celebrated, celebrated. Um, And if you're not willing to join in on the celebration of sinful living, you're given names and titles such as hateful and intolerant because you're not willing to celebrate sin, what the Bible labels as sin. Righteous living in 2021 in America is labeled as odd and peculiar and strange. Even many people who are saved are still so enamored by the culture that God is turned off by even that. I think about when the angel of the Lord and Abraham stood outside of the city of Sodom. The angel of the Lord would send two of his angels into the city of Sodom where he would eventually take Sodom and, or rather Lot and his wife and two daughters, and dragged them out of the city because of the wickedness of that city. Abraham stood there with the angel of the Lord, who I believe to be an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. And Abraham tried to bargain with God. He said, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? 50 saved people, will you spare the city? And God said, Abraham, if there's 50 
righteous people, for your sake I'll spare the city. And they bargained down from 50 all the way down slowly, 50, 40, 35, 30, 20, 15, all the way down to 10 righteous people. If there would only be 10 righteous people, would you spare the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah from destruction? And Abraham must have been thinking to himself, well, there's Lot, there's his wife, and there are his four daughters. That's six. Surely Lot has been able to find four converts in his time there. Surely there must be ten righteous people in the entire city of Sodom. Sadly, just a couple of days later, Lot and his wife and two daughters, the other two daughters would stay because they were married and didn't want to go anywhere. Lot and his four, four, the four of the six of them would be led out, escorted out, drug out really by the angel and fire and brimstone would fall on Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness of that city. The wickedness of that city. And I wonder today, I'm not preaching this as Bible doctrine, I'm just left to wonder if there is not a number put on America, a number of righteous, and if we were to fall below that number, if God would send destruction and punishment to this country. You see, many people get wrapped up in the time and they forget that we're not the first superpower to rise in the world. Many superpowers have risen before us and have fallen. You can go back through time and you can look at the patterns. You can see countries who've gotten fat and lazy, and I don't mean that in a way that's impolite or rude or personal. I mean, I mean prosperous and greedy. America was made that way because America built its foundation on God. But we have shifted off of the foundation and we are now thumbing our nose at God. We've kicked Him out of every public square we can kick Him out of. And this morning, I, I want to encourage Christians to live a life where God looks down at you and says, that's what I'm looking for right there. You see, prosperity ruins people. Ruins people. We live in the most prosperous country in the world. We live in the part of the most we live in the most prosperous part of the most prosperous country in the world. We're not careful. We'll get so comfortable. We will have grown complacent. We need Americans who will rise up and say, "I will be holy. I will be godly." I will not celebrate sin. I will be kind to sinners, but I will not celebrate sin. I will do my part to turn the tide. This morning, I'd like for us to look at four thoughts about this concept of Americans that bless God. Let's jump in this morning and notice point number one, American problems. American problems. Before we can understand the cure for our country we must first understand the problems. The problems. Let's look at uh, an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A. Notice the word atheism. Atheism. Take your Bibles over to Romans chapter number 1. Place a marker there in 1 Timothy 2. We'll be coming back to it. Uh, but Romans chapter 1, 
let's look at the problem of atheism. Atheism is the belief that God, the God of the Bible, does not exist, that he is not real, and that he's just a figment of an imagination, and he's a crutch for people uh, to lean on when times get tough. Atheists believe that there is no God. Look with me at Romans 1 and look at verse number 21. The Bible says there, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. What happened is that corporately a group of people can go from believing in God to where they no longer believe in God. Here, beginning Romans 1, 21 through 23, lays out for us the beginning of a downward slope into depravity, a downward slope into depravity, where the bottom of that depravity is uh, God who has turned people over to a reprobate mind. And they get to a place where they are no longer able to, to repent. They're no longer able to come back to truth because they have rejected the, the, the leanings of God. They've rejected the conviction of God. And now they have reached a point of no return. God has turned them over to a, re, a reprobate mind. I believe that Romans 1 is a perfect description of a downward slide of a group, a people group into deep sin that God labels as Filthy. Uh, God, through the Apostle Paul, outlines for us exactly how a group of people get there. And it begins by worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. They worship the creation as the Creator. And now we live in a time where we have uh, folks who worship themselves. That's called humanism. We have people who worship the collection of things. That's called materialism. We have people who worship the environment. Uh, uh, and, and we have environmentalism. And we have uh, people who worship sin. And this is exactly what happens in America. You see, no one is born an atheist. Please listen to me this morning. No one is born an atheist. In all of my years doing church ministry, I've had the privilege to sit down across from many people who have labeled themselves an atheist. I've had uh, conversations that have been two and three and four hours in length talking to someone who wanted to spar intellectually with me with the idea of atheism versus Christianity. And every single time I've had these conversations, I've looked at that person and I've said, tell me the moment that you became an atheist. And do you know that every time I've ever asked that question, the person was able to take me back to a place and time when they converted to atheism. Isn't that interesting? No one is born an atheist. Everyone is born believing in God, and those who are atheists make a choice to deny God. Why? Because it is put in the very fabric of who you are at birth to believe in a higher power. Why do we do this? Well, some do it because they're uh, living, I believe the majority of atheists do so because they don't, they want to dismiss the idea of a higher power that they have to answer to at the end of their life. Isn't it convenient to dismiss God? 
Boy, then you can live however you want. You can live by impulse. You can live by instinct. You can live a YOLO lifestyle. You only live once. And uh, boy, just go out and have a great time. And then you die and you just become the dirt. And listen, uh, you say, well, Pastor Lejeune, what if we die and become dirt? I've lost nothing. I've lost nothing. But if we die and we have to face an eternal God, my friend, that is a scary thought for you, isn't it? We have a country that has gone from being a God-fearing land. Now, I want to be careful here. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home and went to a Christian school, and I believe that history was taught with a Christian slant and to a point where it was probably a little inaccurate. What do I mean by that? Uh, I was sort of taught to believe, or the implication was that uh, all of our founding fathers were born-again Baptists. You know, that's just not how it was, okay? Uh, there were agnostics that were part of our founding fathers. There were uh, people who um, uh, didn't believe in God that were part of our founding fathers. But can I say this? Even the people who claimed to not believe in the God of the Bible saw great value in having the Bible as part of the fabric of this country. They all saw at least the value of it. Many of them, while not Baptists, many of them were born-again believers. You do your digging and you do your homework and you do your studying. I feel as though in America today we have something I call revisionist history where our kids are being taught that our founding fathers are nothing but a bunch of hateful slave-owning men who need to be uh, disrespected and torn down. And let me just say the reason for that is if we can, uh, we can debunk and we can uh, label and we can discredit our founding fathers, then that paves the way to tear down our American process and replace it with fascism and communism. And I, for one no interest in that. Atheism. We're talking about American problems today. There was a day and time where the foundation of this country was God and the Bible. Morality was defined by this. Well, what has happened is that we've quit doing right because the Bible says so. And we've been told to do right because it's right to do right. You know, the problem is when you do away with this right here, eventually you get to switch and change what's right and wrong. Have you noticed that today what's considered right by the culture is different than it was even 20 years ago? Why is that? Because when you do away with the standard of right, now you get to define it however you want. You do away with God and now all of a sudden the government gets to become God. That's a problem. American problems. We're going to talk about solutions in a minute. But notice letter A, atheism. You say, well, not all of Americans are atheists. And I believe that most Americans, if you stopped and asked them, are you an atheist? Most Americans to this day would say no, that they believe in a higher power. But can I say that practically speaking, most folks today are at a barbecue and not at church? We may say with our mouth that we're not atheists, but as a country... The way we practice, we practice as though we are atheists. Letter B, notice abortion. I'll tread carefully. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look with me at verse number 1. Verses that are read regularly in church and I believe need to be read regularly in church. Paul told Timothy, he said, stand strong because uh, the closer we get to the coming of Christ, 
the more proud and self-centered and narcissistic, if you will, to use a modern day uh, term, clinical term, the more narcissistic and self-centered the culture will become. And tell me if this list here does not perfectly describe Western culture in 2021. Look at verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. iPhone. Um, YouTube, selfies, lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. How often does God's name get taken in vain in our country in a 24-hour period? Just being blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Look at uh, holiness in America is no longer a thing. In fact, unholiness is worshipped. Verse 3, without natural affection. That's God's description of uh, people who are living in a relationship with the same gender. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Look at this one here. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Look at that. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I'm going to say something here that might come across as controversial and might cause some of you to say, he said, what? That's scandalous. Give me a minute to explain. Let me just say this morning that when it comes to this area of abortion and it comes to this area of sexuality, Pastor Lejeune is pro-choice. Pro-choice. You say, you're what? You're not pro-life. Oh, I am pro-life. I'm pro-choice. But here's the thing. I think you have the choice on whether or not to climb in bed with that person prior to getting pregnant. If you're not ready to have a baby, then don't commit the act that's going to get you pregnant. You say, my body, my choice. Once that, that thing, that, that person living inside of you has a heartbeat... It's not your body anymore. It has its own autonomy. You know, um, the founder of Planned Parenthood was an avowed racist. She wanted to eliminate the black race from America. And if you look at where Planned Parenthood locations are in America today, they are predominantly found in black neighborhoods. Can I just say this this morning? If you love a people group, you are not trying to kill their babies. Now, if you're here today and you've had an abortion, let me just say to you that Pastor Lejeune is not here to throw any judgment your way. Boy, I hurt for you. I can't imagine the pain and sorrow and hurt that you deal with privately. You don't need me to pick up a stone and throw it your way. You need to know that White Oak Baptist Church is a place where you can come and find healing and forgiveness. God loves you. We love you. My, uh, my description of America's problem today is not meant to be a stone thrown at a woman who's had an abortion. It's meant to be a stone thrown at the abortion industry as a whole. And the evil, evil, evil people that are behind it. You understand that in the Old Testament, God warned Israel about worshiping a God named Ashtaroth. Who was Ashtaroth? Ashtaroth was a metal um, uh, idol that was built, that was large, and in its lap 
of this idol was a fire that burned and there were hands made out of metal that would, were held over that lap. The burning of the fire in the lap represented a sensuality and a loose sexuality. And when, a ba- when, when a, they, were, uh, they were told to take their babies and place them in the hands of that God and sacrifice their babies to the God of Ashtaroth. And even Solomon built a temple Tasharoth. Various kings throughout Israel's history would put their own babies in the hands of this God. Do you understand that this is the worshiping of demons that goes way, way back thousands of years and it has just resurfaced itself as the abortion industry in America. If America has a holocaust, it's 70 million babies that have been murdered since Roe v. Wade. We wonder why God let 9-11 happen. We wonder why God let schools get shot up. Movie theaters and shopping malls get shot up. We wonder where God's hand of protection is. And for the last many years, we have told God, we don't want you in our classrooms. We don't want you in our courtrooms. We don't want you in your rules of your Bible in our life. We want you to take a hiatus. And we told God to leave. And guess what? When God leaves, He takes His hand of protection with Him. You don't get to have it both ways, America. You don't get to say, we'll live how we want, but you continue to protect us. We say, we've seen God bless America, and God looks down at us and says, well, how about Americans that bless God? Again, I just want to reiterate, if you're here this morning and you've had an abortion, I'm not here to throw a single stone in your direction. Boy, I hurt for you. I can't imagine the pain that you've gone through. There are evil people in this country. Christians need to stand up shoulder to shoulder and say, this needs to end. I look back at, our, at the 1800s in this country, a time where slavery was prevalent and the black men and black women were treated like less than human. It's a blight on our country. I hope one day we look back over our shoulder and we view abortion as a people the way we view slavery, as a wickedness. Boy, we need Christians who stand up and do their part. We had a group of ladies some time back that went to the Planned Parenthood location in New Haven and sought to help the moms going in and out. There are women here that are passionate about that. And to that, I, say, I applaud you. I say, good job. Keep it up. American problems. We see atheism. We see abortion. But let me hit a little closer to home this morning. And let's look at letter C. Let's look at apathy. Apathy. Look back at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and let's look at verse 5. Boy, it's easy to say amen about atheism because we're here this morning. Amen? It's easy to say amen about abortion because we think it's murder and it's wrong. Amen? But how about Christians who are apathetic toward doing right and being holy? Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now Paul turns away from those outside of the walls of the church and he looks at those within the walls of the church. The great sin of apathy. 
Preaching against atheism and abortion are easy topics. We believe in God. We, have, we, we believe abortion is a sin, but my friends, God does not check the thermometer up against Hollywood or the White House. He checks the thermometer of America's spiritual temperature up against the church house. Christians today are apathetic. I praise God for White Oak Baptist Church because I believe we have more people that are passionate about God here than the average church. But there are plenty of people who call this church their church. And church is just something we fit into the schedule throughout the week. Being a Christian is not who we are. It's just something we do once a week. Watch this now. If I slip my, my arm out of this jacket right here, this sleeve has the form of an arm, but there's no power for it to move. It just hangs loose right there. It has the appearance of an arm, but it doesn't have the movement of an arm. That jacket sleeve of mine hanging out right there is what many, many Christians are. On the outside, they look the part, but there is no power of God working within them. We must have the Holy Spirit of God insert himself into us and work through us. Because unless the Spirit of God is working from within... We're just playing a game. We're just playing a game. Get up Sunday morning, get dressed up, go to church, carry your Bible. You know your way around the 66 books. You know how to sit there and nod real sweet, say amen here and there. But we go home. Are you a Christian on Monday like you are on Sunday? Are you a Christian on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? How much time do you spend each week reading your Bible and praying? You look across the way and you see people walking in and out of the store or walking around a park. They're your fellow Americans. But are they your fellow citizens of heaven? Do you even care that there's a hell that they're heading to? When was the last time you shed a tear over this country? When was the last time you shed a tear over a lost soul? You see, we want America to get back to its roots. Then Christians need to turn up the temperature in their love for God. Oh, it's easy to throw stones and it's easy to call out the sinful culture for what they get wrong. I can't climb into one movie director's head and change one thing about his script. I can't go to Washington and convince one politician to change one thing. But I can look in the mirror at myself and I can size up my own problems and I can roll up my sleeves and I can get to work right there. I think if enough Christians were to do that, the tide would begin to turn. Number one, American problems. Number two, Americans that participate. Go back to our initial text, First Timothy chapter 2. You're in Second Timothy 3. Turn over just a few pages there to First Timothy 2, and look with me at verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, Therefore kings 
and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. What was Paul telling Timothy? He was saying we should pray for our politicians to be reverent of who we are so that they will leave us alone and let us minister, let us have church, let us worship our God as we see fit. Here in our country, we have a say when it comes to who leads us. Uh, If we don't like a particular ideology by a particular person, we can vote to replace them with someone who claims a different ideology. Uh, let me just uh, let me first say you uh, all of you here. Let me encourage you participate in our election process. A lot of grumbling and griping about our election process. A lot of grumbling and griping about our part, our, our our politicians, uh, uh, whoever's in office. Uh, there just seems to be a lot of grumbling and griping. But the best thing you can do. Uh, after prayer is go forth and exercise your right to vote. So quickly, let me highlight for you some principles when it comes to voting, some biblical principles. Number one, never vote for anyone who supports the destruction of innocent life. I, uh, when I got my last uh, ballot, I went and I looked online and I figured out where they stood on this topic of abortion. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't vote someone to be dog catcher if I thought they were pro-choice or they were uh, uh, for abortion. And so you you do your homework and you know uh, where they stand. That one topic for me, I do believe there's a day coming where both uh, the main party candidates that are put forth uh, will both be pro, uh, uh, pro-abortion. pro And when that day comes, I will write in a third party candidate. I will not vote for someone who is for abortion. Number two, vote for the candidate that will best protect our rights to freely assemble and worship. Here, uh, Paul tells Timothy, he says, pray for those in authority that they'll leave you alone and let you live a godly life, an honest life, and uh, respect your religion. Vote for a candidate that seeks to protect religious freedom. And number three, vote based on biblical principles, not by a candidate's race or gender. I remember back when Bill Clinton was running for office, I was just a small child, and I remember hearing someone say, well, I'm going to vote for Bill Clinton because I think he's better looking than George Bush. Boy, that's a shallow reason to vote for someone, right? Um, We live in a day where color of skin and your gender is way, way, way overemphasized. Now, I'm going to tread very carefully here, but Martin Luther King himself said that we ought to view each other based on what? The content of our character, not the color of our skin. Those are the words of the civil rights leader. Why are we putting so much emphasis on people's skin color? Whether you're here today and you're uh, uh, my shade of brown or your shade of brown, can I tell you something? We're just all a different shade of brown. And we're all equal in God's sight. Oh, I get there's different cultures. And I get that there's... But look, politicians just want to divide us based on any way they can. Here at White Oak Baptist Church, we try not to put a lot of emphasis on the color of skin because we're all God's children. Amen? We need Christians who will not vote based on a, uh, the color of skin of a candidate or the gender of a candidate, but based on that 
person's biblical principles or how they will defend our biblical principles. Again, look at verse 2, Second, 1 Timothy 2, 2. It says there toward the middle of the verse that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We need Americans that participate. How can you participate? Pray for your politicians. Pray. Uh, 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 go to the voting booth and vote. Number one, we see American problems. Number two, Americans that participate. Number three, Americans that have perspective. Perspective. It is easy to get caught up in, um, uh, in politics. And I've, I've stood up here and I have said till I've been red in the face, blue in the face, purple in the face, polka dot in the face, every uh, shade I can turn. Um, uh, you need to turn off the news. Just turn it off. Some people have either, um, uh, what was the phrase I used a few weeks back? Some of you get your news from a peacock. Some of you get your news from a fox. Okay. Just turn it off. It's okay to know what's going on in the world. It's okay to get caught up to take 10 to 15 minutes each day and know what's going on in the world. I think you need to do that. I do that. But man, some of you have a, a cable news channel on 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day. The Bible tells us in Psalm 1, we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what a lot of cable news is? It's not news. It's political opinion. Shut it off! What if you spend as much time praying as you do watching the news? Am I stepping on some toes this morning? We need some perspective. And I'm going to tell you what, cable news does not give you perspective. Cable news, whatever channel it is, takes the issues of the day and it shoves them right in front of your face and it says, look at what's going on right now. My friend, we need some perspective. We need to back away from today and we need to see the scope. We need to see the whole matter of things. Let me offer you an A and a B here. Letter A, historical perspective. And I'm a preacher, so I'm looking this at this from a Christian standpoint. In the year 1611, pilgrims settled the first permanent English colony. It was governed by the Mayflower Compact. If you want to know much about that first English colony, go read the Mayflower Compact. It was, a, um, it, it was written with uh, the desire to please the God of the Bible and to follow its morals and principles. That's the founding of our country. 1730s and 1740s, America experienced what history, historians have recorded as the first spiritual great awakening. What happened between 1611 and 1730, our country or the founding of our country, the colonies drifted away from God and then there was a reckoning back to God. And then uh, America slowly began to spiritually decline again. And so then there was another awakening. Between the years 1800 and, and, and into the 1820s, America experienced its second great awakening. America came back to God. But lo and behold, over a period of about 100 years, 1920s and 1930s, America drifted away from God again between 1820 and 1920. And then in 1920, a man by the name of Billy Sunday came on the stage. Um, uh, he would go from city to city preaching uh, 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 great uh, uh, sermons and uh, stirring America back toward God. And he turned the tide away from wickedness. It said Billy Sunday would show 
scope in his city and he would set up a tent and he would preach to thousands and thousands of people. And when he would leave, all of the bars would shut down from lack of business. People were getting saved. The saved were getting their hearts right with God. 1611, the pilgrims come. 1730, there's an awakening. Uh, uh, There's a drifting away from God. 1820, 1800, 1820, there's a coming back to God. 1920, 1930, there's another coming back to God. Anybody know the year? 2021? This isn't our first time around the block. 1600, we came back in 17. 1700, we got away, we came back in 18. 1800, we got away, we came back in 19. 1900, we got away. Well, now it's 2020. Hey, it's time for us to come back to God. I I have to say this morning that I have a lot of friends that are Christians, and this might even be some of you. You think, well, America's just too far gone. You know, it's too, we'll never have a revival. Well, with that attitude, we won't. And maybe we won't. Maybe Jesus is coming back soon. But I have to say this. It may be another 500 years where He comes back. And I want to get busy doing my part to be the Christian America needs it to be to bring this country back. Letter B, we see spiritual perspective. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 and 37. The Bible says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah or Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I look around at our world today and I see it filled with wickedness. I see that God is just a byword that gets stepped on and mistreated. I see a country that's so secular toward God. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God described how it was in the days of Noah. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, I wonder if we were to take the average. If we were to take the average American. And take their thoughts and turn them into text. We were able to read through the, 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 the paper. The, the, the elongated paper form of. A man, man or woman's thought, an average American's thoughts in one day, I wonder how many of those thoughts would please the Lord. Or I wonder if every imagination of his heart would only be evil continually. We're getting close, quite possibly, to we're reaching the precipice, we're reaching the point where America in the Western culture is matching that of the way it was when God sent the great flood that destroyed the earth in the time of Noah. But I just want to say this, Christian, the darker the night, the brighter our light ought to shine. You know, uh, I used to, how many of you here regularly or semi-regularly drive through the tunnel on 15? How many of you realize that if it's a bright day and you drive through the tunnel, those lights don't seem very bright? But you drive back through that same tunnel with those same lights on at nighttime, and they seem very bright. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when America was godly, the light of a Christian didn't shine very far. But now that America has grown wicked, our light should be shining brighter and brighter and brighter to this world. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. 
but it might not be in our lifetime. I know this, when he does come back, I want my light to be shining bright. Number four, quickly, notice Americans that pray. Americans that pray. We're going to move through these quickly here. Notice letter A. Uh, Notice, give thanks for government. Give thanks for government. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look back there with me and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Underline that. All that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. Um, uh, just two, two brief comments and I'll move on here. I, I, I got to say, I am tired of hearing Christians bellyache over who the president is. God is the one that puts up authority and brings down authority. If God did not want Joe Biden to be president, then he wouldn't be president. When was the last time you got on your knees and you prayed for the man? You kind of have to turn off Fox News if you're going to do that. We bellyache and complain about how bad we have it here in America. Do you understand that the leader who Paul says to pray for eventually chopped off his head? We don't have that here. We, we bellyache and complain about our politics way too much. And we pitch fits like little babies when we don't get our way at the ballot box. I'm not trying to be mean. But the Bible says you are to give thanks. That's not my words. Paul had a man who was sticking Christians in tar and lighting them on fire. And he said, give thanks for your political leaders. If Paul can do it, I think we can do it. Do you give thanks for government? I know we highlight the anti-police movement and all that goes on in this country. Look, I get it. I see it. I understand it. It's not good. It's not good. It's signs of a country who's turning away from God. And we looked at that. But listen, there's a lot of good that government still does. We need to get on our knees and we need to pray for our political leaders and we need to give thanks for the good that they do accomplish. Letter B, supplicate for their salvation supplicate for their salvation. When you pray for your political leaders, give thanks for them. Let her be supplicate for their salvation. Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verse number 4. The Bible says, Who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth? I pray every day for our president and for our vice president and for our governors and for the mayor of Stratford. And here's one of the things I pray when I pray each day for these folks. I pray that God, if they're not saved, that God would save their souls. I prayed the same thing for President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence. You know God wants them to be saved. You know He died on the cross of their sins just like He died on the cross for yours. Boy, what would happen if our political leaders found the Lord? I just want to say this and we'll move on. I know I'm being hard on some of you this morning and I love you. Amen? Why would anybody come to 
the God of Christians who are constantly attacking them and berating them. If you were not saved and you had a family member who was nasty toward you and then went to church on Sunday, would you want to go to church with them the next Sunday? Christians are just nasty and mean and unkind toward politicians that don't agree with them. And then we wonder why they don't want to have anything to do with their God. Maybe if Christians were to write letters to the White House and to the Capitol building and to our representatives and say, I have prayed for you every day, and here's what I pray when I pray. I want you to succeed within your office even though you're not my political party. And I want you to know that if you ever have anything you need prayed for, you can reach out to me. I'd love to pray for you. Boy, maybe if enough Christians were to do that, we could make a convincing case for some of these politicians to get saved. We need to supplicate. Oh, we need to pray for America. And we need to be the best representatives we can be, but we need to get on our face and we need to pray. Letter C, notice, pray for peace. Pray for peace. Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all, all men, 1 Timothy 2, 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. What are we praying for when we pray for our political leaders? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We're praying that they will leave our religious liberty alone and let us continue to worship God the way we believe we should. You know, Christians, we need to pray that God allows our faith to continue to be expressed in great peace. One of the things I love, I love about America this is one of just a handful of countries in the world where we don't have to worry about militia walking in that back door and stopping us from preaching the Bible. It's been that way through our entire country's heritage. And I praise God for that. We need to pray for that peace. You know the old phrase, freedom isn't free. And the, the ability to do this isn't free. And so you go to the booth and you vote for people that allow this type of thing to continue to happen when it's time for you to vote. But you get on your knees and you pray and you do your part. Let me ask you a question this morning, Christian. Are you living a life where God looks down and says, I'm blessed by the way he's living. I'm blessed by the way she's living. Are we part of the problem or are we part of the solution? Boy, Christians, today I'm going to invite you in just a minute to come down and get on your knees. I'd love to see dozens of you down here. I'll join you. We need to pray for our country. We do enough belly aching and complaining, but we don't do enough praying. We need to pray that God will bless America by being Americans that bless God. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Our pianist is coming. In a moment, we'll have an invitation.